You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, and thank you for the good morning, and thank you for the opportunity to come to share with you today. As you heard, my name is Ed Stetzer, and I. I live in Chicagoland and serve at Wheaton College, and there's someone from Chicagoland that's actually out there. And so glad that you are, and uh, glad that you're here where it's much warmer. Um, so uh, about three years ago, I changed uh, jobs. I was leaving a place, I was the vice president of a place called Lifeway, and I was moving to Chicago to be a professor at this school, Wheaton College, and I got an invitation from the Washington Post. The Washington Post uh, said, you know, Ed, would you like to write an article about why you're changing jobs, which is kind of an interesting, you don't usually get an email like that, but it was a pretty big shift. And I said, I'd, I'd love to, but I, but I would be pretty you know, explicitly Christian in that description, because I believe God's called me, based on his word, to do some things in this change. And they said, well, okay, let's, let's send it to us, let's take a look. And so I wrote the article, and I based it around the message I'm going to share with you today. I based it around four verses. They're called the Commissions of Jesus. There are four of them. We're going to walk through them chronologically, see how they apply to the age in which we live. So I, I wrote the article, I sent it into them, and then uh, what was interesting was the response, it actually became the most read article on the Washington Post for about 36 hours, but not because people liked it, but because people were mad about it. And so people began to click and share it with people and say, you don't want to read this, this is terrible, and, um, which is not really your, what you want to do, but it is what it is. Um, so, but the reason is because of a phrase I put in there, I explained it throughout the Bible, we know the teachings of Jesus are multifaceted and cover all kinds of aspects of life. But between Jesus' resurrection and ascension, he gave four short teachings that Christians call commissions. And in those commissions, he sent his disciples on a mission to do certain things. And in the midst of doing that, I said that if these are Jesus' last earthly words uh, between his resurrection and his ascension, right, before he ascended to the Father, if these are Jesus' last earthly words before his ascension, Jesus' last words should be our first priority. And so people are like, well, you know, Jesus said this, and he said, he said lots of things, but, but my point today is I want to talk to you about, about how Jesus' commissions matter in a very divided and broken age. We're going to look at four things today. We'll go through them quickly. Let me give you my whole outline before we start. It's we are sent to all different kinds of people with a message empowered by the Spirit. That's my whole outline, and we'll walk through that together. So I'm going to start by number one, uh, we are sent. I'm going to look at John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, Jesus is speaking, and he says, uh, he actually appears behind closed doors. The disciples were in this room with the doors locked because of their fear of the Jewish authorities. And then it says, Jesus came and appeared before them and said, peace be with you. And he shows them his hands and his, his side. The disciples rejoice when they saw the Lord. That's verses 19 and 20. And then in verse 21, it says this, and Jesus said to them again, peace to you as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. And in this words, we hear that Jesus sends his disciples on mission. Now you've got to make a, an assumption here. You've got to answer a question here is, do you believe that what Jesus said 2,000 years ago is actually applicable to the disciples 2,000 years later. As it's not always so, right? Jesus at one point tells some of his disciples to go out and find a donkey in a town. That's not something you need to start wandering around Lexington looking for livestock, right? But when Jesus speaks to his disciples and commissions them, he says, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. Now in that idea comes a very clear teaching that his disciples are sent by Jesus on mission for his purposes in the world. 
So as you're preparing here, going to college, and you're going to be a, a doctor, you're going, to be a, you're going to be a business owner, you're going to be a whatever it may be, maybe you're going to be in ministry or mission, whatever it may be, your call is ultimately the call to join Jesus on his mission. So his disciples are actually all sent. So John 20, 21 says, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. Now here's the challenge. Sometimes we don't think of ourselves as sent. We think of maybe missionaries as sent, right? And Asbury has a great long heritage and history of sending missionaries around the world. And I think ultimately that can help us learn about being sent here too. I bet some of you, just out of interest, maybe by a show of hands, how many of you have been on a cross-cultural international mission trip? Would you raise your hand for just a second? Okay, people all around the room, sure. And I've done lots as well, and I love doing uh, trips like that. I love taking my students. There's a lot of places I like to go, but my, my personal favorite place to go uh, in the whole world is actually in West Africa. Uh, it's actually Ghana in particular. And, and I love lots of things about the, the people, the culture, the, uh, the context. It's all beautiful. But the, the culture there, particularly the Ashanti people, one of the things that they believe makes it even my favorite place, they believe that being a big man is incredibly attractive. I don't know why that's funny to you. Um, so, so I went there, and when I came, I mean, people, you know, if you're, if you're a big person in America, people don't tend to mention it. It's not socially appropriate to mention it. But in Ghana, it's quite the opposite. So I'd walk into a room, people go, whoa, look at you. You are amazing. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, that's true, I am. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. And they'd come in, and, and, and people would just like, like comment on how amazingly attractive it was. And I grew up, I was never an attractive person, so I grew up now suddenly knowing what those of you who are attractive feel like every day, <laughs> right? So, so I started to learn to wave like attractive people wave, right? So I had to learn, and so I, so I would walk through the village of Apatrapa, where we were showing the Jesus film, and I was preaching a crusade, and people would just comment on my appearance, and I would try to be humble and say, yes, I know, I'm beautiful, and kind of go on from there. But humility is not a strength when you just found out how attractive you are. And so there I was. So the first Sunday, though, we actually were there for two weeks, helped start a church in Apatrapa, which is a village outside of Kumasi, the capital city of Ghana. But the, the Sunday before, we went to visit churches, right? So I had students with me. It was a, I was a professor. I took my students. So I, we divided up into groups and went out to 20 different churches. So I was there uh, by myself in a church of a thousand West African Ghanaians, is how you'd say a person from Ghana. And I was sort of seated over here. When they have guests in church, they seat them up front. And I, I mean, I stood out. I was the only white person in, in, in the whole room. Everyone else was a black African. And uh, at first they started to worship, and they worship in ways that are more enthusiastic than you worshiped here today. Right? So people started to dance. Uh, people started to you know, sing and clap, and I sang and clapped with them. But I actually... I, I, I don't dance because the Bible says I shouldn't. It's in Second Opinions chapter 4, verse 11. So it says specifically, Ed Stetzer should never dance. And so I take the Bible very seriously. So I, I said I wouldn't do that. So I'm over here and sort of, so I'm clapping along, moving one leg, trying to get into it, but not dancing. But then comes the offering. Now at your church probably, and my church, we pass a plate or a basket or whatever, well, here they roll out a barrel, and they put the barrel in the front of the church. It's about a thousand people, so, so not just somewhere to the size of this room, and they roll out a barrel. And I realized that my plan to not dance is about to be ruined because I'm going to have to, um, a thousand people can't walk up to a barrel at the same time. There has to be a plan. Cultures are smart. People are smart. And so there is a plan. The plan is we're all going to dance up to the barrel 
I'm right there thinking I can do this quickly, but the plan does not include that. The plan is we form a thousand-person dance conga line up and down all the aisles of the church. So I'm, I'm right over here, and the music starts, and I'm at the end of the dance line, right? So, so I start dancing. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm older. Uh, most of you, my, my daughter's a college student, your age, most of your ages. But I grew up in the 70s, so the only way I know how to dance actually involves pointing. And so, <laughs> so that's kind of what I did throughout the whole church that day. And uh, back to Second Opinions chapter 4, there's a reason I shouldn't do that. But here's the deal. I was on a mission trip. Now, many of you raise your hand. You've been on a mission trip. Here's what you know. On a mission trip, you know that you're going to need to get uncomfortable at times. People talk at closer or sometimes more distant uh, in their conversation. Uh, sometimes people hold one another's hands when they talk, something we don't necessarily do in our culture. You may have eaten foods that are far from your preferred, but they told you, listen, you're on a mission trip, you got to eat the food. Here's the thing. You were willing to get uncomfortable on a cross-cultural mission trip. What I want to say to you is, Jesus has sent all of his disciples on mission. Our life is a mission trip, and that means, in part, we're going to get uncomfortable to live for Christ on mission in this day and age. And the challenge is, is I think sometimes too many people think, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't necessarily have to get uncomfortable for the for the cause of Christ. Well, now we find ourselves in a very divided time. Um, a lot of people are mad. Uh, people are being shaped by the anger in our society. There's a whole group of people who are being discipled by their cable news choices. They're being spiritually shaped by their social media feed. And what's happening is a growing division in our society, and yet this is our time. This is the time that Jesus has sent us on mission into an outraged and divided culture. So we can join in the outrage, and that's easy. It's actually attractive. It draws us into the idea of outrage, and we kind of use our social media to, to vent our anger, to call out people that we don't like, whatever we might do. And the end result is, we don't live on mission for Jesus. We actually get shaped by the way the world would have us to be divided and react to one another. Now, I believe some, there's a better way. There's a very famous preacher from years ago. His name was Charles Spurgeon. He said this. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Now, I want to change that a little bit because I don't think every Christian's a missionary. I think that's a, a specific category. And we thank God for those who go on cross-cultural missions. But what I want to say to all of us here is we're all sent on mission. The only question is where, among whom, and doing what. So number one, first and foremost, is we are sent. Can I get you to participate a little bit and just say those three words with me? Let's do it together. We are sent. One more time. We are sent, which leads us to number two, which is to all different kinds of people. So Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is speaking. This is another of the commissions. He says this, beginning in verse 18. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, for surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now the Great Commission, that's called, it's a very famous passage in the Bible. You see it on signs sometimes around campus. And I'm not going to focus on all of it because we'd need hours to chapel just to walk through this passage. But I do want to focus on the phrase, to all nations. Because when Jesus said the words, go to all nations, he really didn't mean to all nations. And that may sound strange, but stay with me. Maybe thinking, who's this guest chapel speaker that doesn't believe Jesus meant what he said? Actually, I, 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 what I'm saying is, he didn't mean what we hear 
when he says to all nations. Here's why. Because there were no countries then, and we hear countries when Jesus says nations. We think of Brazil. You know, we think of Mozambique. We think of France. We think of Canada. We think of countries when that idea did not exist in the day Jesus spoke these words. Matter of fact, the Greek is pantata ethne, to all nations. Ethne comes from the same root word as our word, ethnic, to all different kinds of people. Now, that does mean for global missions to the Quechua in the highlands of Peru, to the Iban in Malaysia, it means to the Pokot in Africa, all different kinds of ethno-linguistic people groups need men and women to say yes to God's global missionary call. And it also speaks, though, to us 2,000 years later here in our culture as well, all different kinds of people. When the disciples heard pantata ethne, they would have immediately thought he means the Gentiles. We think he means countries. He means the Gentiles and all different kinds of Gentiles. And that means for us, sometimes we'll get uncomfortable and go on mission to different types of people. Right now, don't you miss this, the world's trying to divide us into camps. Right? The world's trying to divide. These people are over here, and these people are like this, and these people hold these values. These people don't talk to these people. But Jesus sends us to all of them. And sometimes that means churches, sometimes that means individuals. Let me give you an example of a church that went to all different kinds of people. Not far away from here is Louisville, Kentucky. Um, one of my students uh, was, uh, decided to go plant a church in the Highlands District of Louisville, Kentucky. Now those of you who, whoop, you know Louisville a little bit, probably a lot. So um, the Highlands District is kind of the cool part of town. It's, the, uh, where the, it's kind of the art and croissant district. It's where the artists slash waiters are all trying to break into the art world. Um, and so um, Daniel and Mandy were the, were the lead team, and they, they went to plant this church. And, and about two years into this church in this district, they, the Highlands District, they asked me to come and to fill in on a Sunday. And I was happy to do it. Um, so I walked into the church. It's called Sojourn Church. You may know it now. It's one of the largest churches in Louisville. So, but I walked into the church. It was about 200 at the time, meeting in a a room not as similar to this, more of a traditional oak floor, oak, everything around. They had a candelabras, and, and I walked into the, to the sanctuary. They only met on Sunday night because they were all artists. I guess they were out arting the night before, and uh, I'm not really aware of art, so forgive me. Um, so, um, so I walk in. As I walk into the back, I immediately look around, and I'm a stranger in a strange land. So this was, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. And I looked around, and everyone's 15 years younger than me. They're all, at the time, like 19 to 21 years of age. About 200 people. They weren't all there yet, but they trickled in as we went. I walked down that aisle, and I, the band was warming up, right? There were six of them on the band. They're all young men. Um, they, had, they had black sneakers, jeans with holes in them, a black T-shirt, and black hair with blonde highlights and thick black rim glasses. All, all six of them, because they were individuals, didn't want to be squeezed into a mold by society. Um, <laughs> You've, you've, you've met them? Uh, anyway, so and so I'm walking down the aisle, and I notice the band looks a little different than the band at my church, and, and, I, and, I, and I, I noticed, too, that the music, I didn't recognize the music. I found out later they wrote all their own music because they didn't want to be sold out to the man, you know, singing commercial worship music. They, they have a couple of CDs now you can actually get, but back then it was a little different. So I'm halfway up the aisle. I also noticed the music is entirely too loud. Now, you don't know me, so that phrase might put a picture in your mind of me, 
But I, at that time, I started, I, went, I graduated college and moved to the inner city of Buffalo, New York, and we planted, Don and I planted our first church among the urban poor, and then we had planted three churches in northwest Pennsylvania, and then, then I became a professor. So my whole experience was in churches that were new churches that were too loud for a lot of people. In fact, I've heard, to my, I've heard in people say to me probably hundreds of times up to that point before I was at Sojourn, they say, you know, pastor, that music's too loud. I'd come to your church, but that music's too loud. And I know I thought to myself hundreds of times, and I said out loud a few times, if it's, if it's too loud, you're too old. And so here I'm halfway up the aisle, and I think to myself, that music's too, <gasps> I'm that guy now. <laughs> right? And so at the time I was in my mid to late 30s, I'm like, I'm, I'm suddenly that guy. I've switched teams, right? So, so I go and I, I look around the room, and they, I mean, the tattoos per capita were seriously higher than my church. And so was the facial jewelry. Not, I'm not talking about you know, earrings and, you know, the, the Christian college nose ring of today. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> I have a daughter who's in Christian college and has a nose ring. So, uh, so, so I'm not talking about that, but they had like, they had like eyebrow studs and, and nose rings and little chains that went between them, subdermal piercings here. And it looked, I just wanted to say, is that real? Boo! Just to pull to see if it was magnetic. But it looked like half the church fell into a tackle box that night and then came to church. And I was a stranger in a strange land. So I get up and I, I share the message that night. And, and I think it goes okay. Um, and I go sit down sort of over where you folks are. And they have the Lord's Supper that night. And they, they're, in their tradition, they do it every week. And, and they put the table here and people come up and they take the bread, dip it in the cup. That's called intinction. And they take the bread. But the associate pastor's there that night. The associate pastor does what's called fencing the table, theologically. He said, if you're not a believer... Uh, if you have unrepentant sin or broken relationship, you wouldn't want to come partake tonight. And I was sitting over there just watching, and the music began to play, and they just came up when they were ready, and about half the church didn't come up. And there was a woman, young lady, sitting maybe four or five seats over from me, and a friend of hers went up and then came back and began to pray with her, and they were weeping together. And then they went up together, and, and all around me I said, there's something, God's doing something here. And a few minutes later, they had two baptisms that night. They baptized in their tradition after a person becomes a believer. And so the first person comes, and um, in my church, when we baptize somebody, we ask them to say, have you committed your life to Christ? And they say yes, uh, because it's part of a public profession, a verbal confession. Um, and so, but here they actually give the, the young man the microphone, and this is, I mean, he just starts sharing his journey, and it's, it's PG-13 at best, maybe more. And he talks about sexual brokenness, and he talks about his own struggle. And then he says, now Jesus has come into my life. He's changed me, but he's still changing me. And people around me are crying. And then when he's baptized, they're applauding while they're crying. And then another young man comes up, and he shares about his own journey. He grew up in a home where he hated his dad because his dad was a drunk. And then now he, he's, he's getting, Jesus has changed him. And he says, I, I, you know, I'm still coming out of my, he, got, he became drug addicted. He's trying to walk through that. He said, Jesus changed me, but he's still changing me. And all around me, people are like crying and clapping at the same time. And I look around one more time and I think, these people are not a lot like me. I'm not sure they'd come to my church naturally, though they'll certainly be welcome. I'm not sure that some of my friends would come to this church naturally, but thank God somebody heard the words of Jesus to go to all different kinds of people and to do so in an art community in Louisville. But the world wants us to kind of be separated. Jesus calls us to a different way. I made fun of their music, and I apologize, because I know that God uses all kinds of music for His glory and honor. There's no such thing as Christian music. There's only Christian lyrics. God can and does use any form of music for His glory and honor, except country western. 
he could use country western, but he's a loving God. And so we know. I, used to, I lived in Nashville three years ago, so you know I had to move. Um, so it goes. So I, I should tell you, actually, the next, the next, very next, two weeks later, I was at a church in Oklahoma City that was singing that country western devil music. And here's how they would sing it, right? They would sing it like this, Victory in Jesus. You probably heard Victory in Jesus at some point. It uh, goes, you know, uh, I heard an old, old story. So here's how they were singing it. I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory. Yeehaw! How he gave it life. <laughs> no. So I'm sitting there, and I'm stunned. They, there was a yee followed by a subsequent verbal yaw. <laughs> and where I grew up outside of New York City, we neither yee nor do we yaw, I can assure you. And I walked in the church. I was at my church. My, my plane was a little late, so I walked in a little bit late. And the people in the church were kind of seated, like the, the, one of some of the rows here, where there's like a person and a space. There's one sit right next to each other. There's a person and a space, but I couldn't see why. So I looked over the first row, and there was a person and a hat, and a person and a hat, and a person and a hat. And I knew I was a stranger in a strange land. So I get up, and I start preaching. I'm like, God, speak in your heart today. And they're like, preach it, brother. Come on. I'm like, I'm trying. Stop yelling at me. And... The more I would yell, the more they would yell. So after church, we went to Western Sizzler. It's the law there. So we went through the, through the feeding trough and sat down. And the pastor was up getting ice cream because that's what we pastors need more of. And um, so I sit down with this guy. I don't remember if his name was Bill or Bob. It wasn't Billy Bob. That'd be funny, but it'd be a lie. And he looked like he lived a rough life. No way to say that. Let's just be honest. And so I said to him, Bill, what brought you to this church was called Crossroads? What brought you to Crossroads? He said to me, preacher, call me preacher. He said, six months ago, I got out of prison. And he said, I went to one church and they made it clear they didn't want me there. He wasn't a Christian when he came out of prison. He said, I had to start my life again. He said, I went to another church and they made it clear that, uh, that they didn't want me there. He said, I went to a second church. I couldn't afford to go there. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't ask. But then he said his words, I came to Crossroads and here... I got radically saved and washed in the blood of Jesus. And I thought to myself, these aren't my people. This isn't my cultural context. But thank God that someone has gone to all different kinds of people. Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to miss this, right? We live in a world that's trying to separate us into groups. That other people are people we don't like, people we hate, people we say bad things about. They're against us. We're against them. Jesus has called us a better way, a more Christian way to go to all different kinds of people to show and share the love of Jesus to them. Number one, we're sent. Number two, to all different kinds of people. Number three, with a message. Number three is with a message. Let me try to see if I can keep from dropping my Bible in chapel. Is that the first time you saw that? Someone dropped their Bible in chapel? Is that like sacrilegious? Do I get points off? Um, I don't think it is, but Luke chapter 24, Jesus is speaking and he, again, it's one of his commissions. This one's a little less familiar to us. Here's what he says. This is what is written. This is Luke 24, 46 and following. See it on the screen. This is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You might say to me, Ed, why do you think it's okay that one church looks like artists in Louisville, one church looks like cowboys in Oklahoma City, and, and maybe churches of different languages and backgrounds and ethnicities, churches where people might think differently about politics and more? Why do you think that's all okay? Here's why. Because the central of Jesus' message is not the external realities of our lives. It's his death upon the cross for our sin and in our place. 
So Jesus says that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, right? And then you, the disciples, disciples then and now, you are witnesses of these things. So here's the picture I don't want you to miss, right? Is that the reason that we can build bridges with Christians who are different than us and then go on mission to people who aren't even Christians and show and share the love of Jesus to them is because repentance and forgiveness of sins has been proclaimed to us and therefore part of our message and mission is to proclaim to a world that needs Jesus. Now you hear that in chapel, you hear that in your classes. I want you just to be careful not to forget. You know, when I was, um, we lived in Nashville, um, my oldest daughter, I have three daughters. They're, they're 15, 17, and 21. And it's so, they're so awesome, though they have so many words. But that's another story for another day. Um, so my oldest daughter, I had to tell her something. And I was downstairs and I, I got up and I said, it was important. So I got, she could hear me coming up the steps and walking down the hallway. And she opens the door before I get there and say, what, Dad? Because it seemed like I was in a rush. And I stood in her room, and I realized that I forgot what I came to say to her. So and this happens when you get past 50. And so I, I just said to her, I just want to come tell you I love you. And she totally fell for it. I mean, she actually thought that's why I was <laughs> coming up the stairs. To this day, I don't think she knows otherwise. But, but here's the deal. I don't want you to be on a mission and forget the message. The message is that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations, so for us, in the midst of a divided world, don't burn bridges with people Jesus has called you to build bridges. I see some Christians on social media, and it's stunning to me, the anger and vitriol. You've seen it too. Maybe you've seen it from some of your peers. And people say, well, I can say whatever I want. I, I've got a right to say that. You've got a right to say that, but it doesn't mean it honors the Lord when you say that. Some people say, well, I'm just being frank. And I would say, if your name's not Frank, stop being frank. <laughs> and if your name's Frank, do it under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Number one, we were sent. Number two, to all different kinds of people. Number three, with a message. Number four, and finally, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I'll close with this. You know what it means when a guest speaker says, I'll close with this? Absolutely nothing. But let's try anyway. So we need the Holy Spirit's strength. You know, you know why? Because the world is designed and designing our relationships to put us into camps separate from one another. And we see the division growing stronger and stronger. We see it politically. We see it culturally. We see it ethnically. We see it linguistically. We see it across men and women. We see all around us. And yet Jesus has called us to a different way. We're going to need the Holy Spirit's strength to live that truth out. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. It says uh, that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Let's take a look. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But the whole, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I just want to say one thing before I close, right? This is not a concentric circles. It's not reach Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the earth. We're living at the uttermost parts of the earth today, right now. When this was, these words were uttered, uh, nobody in that crowd was thinking, well, he's talking about Kentucky, or Illinois for that matter. So we're at the uttermost parts of the earth right now. But the thing I don't want you to miss is this, right? The Holy Spirit will come upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. What, what, what I want you not to miss is, is that this is the Holy Spirit power that we need to draw upon and rely upon so that we might live on mission in an outraged and divided world. What the world would like for some of us to do is just to not talk about Jesus, to not walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, to not live out the fullness of what God has for us. But not only has He called us, but He sent us. But I want you to notice this. Sometimes in churches, you may have heard the phrase, 
that your church is going to reach my Jerusalem, right? So we could say Jerusalem is Wilmore, Kentucky, right? Couldn't be a more Jerusalem-like city probably out there, right? So we're going to reach Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. Now the problem is, that's not really what this verse means. It's basically an outline of the book of Acts. I, people like to take cities in the Bible and sort of say, we're like that city in our church. Like I was in Singapore, and the Christians told me, we want to be the Antioch of Asia. Antioch was the great sending church in the New Testament. So I said to them, but Antioch's actually in Asia. You can't be the Antioch of Asia because Antioch is the Antioch. So I'm not allowed to go back to Singapore anymore now. So, but here's the thing I want you not to miss. Um, Judea is the bigger region around Jerusalem. So there's a sense of the expanding message of the gospel. But Samaria is not the bigger region around Judea. Samaria is filled with people of the wrong ethnicity, the wrong religion, the wrong history that you don't like and you dislike so much you'll walk around their community so you don't have to go through it. That's the Samaritans. That's why when Jesus talked about a good Samaritan, those were shocking words that those two words would be together. So here's my encouragement to you. 2,000 years later, what does it mean to go? We're sent to all different kinds of people with a message empowered by the Spirit. It means to recognize that the world's trying to divide us into Samaritan A, Samaritan B, that doesn't like each other and doesn't care about each other. But Jesus has called us to a better way, to a different way. And my encouragement to you is to say, here I am, Lord, send me. That's what Isaiah said in the Old Testament. Here I am, Lord, send me. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we acknowledge today that it's not always easy to live on mission in the age of outrage. A lot of people upset, mad, fighting. Cable news show after cable news show with shouting draws the ratings. Talk radio gets people riled up, but we're called to a different way. Lord, would you remind us that we're sent to all different kinds of people with a message and empowered by the Spirit. And might we say what Isaiah said in the Old Testament, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. Would you say that out loud with me? Let's say it together. Here I am, Lord, send me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.